turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show, the Tuesday edition of the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, church questions, stuff going on in your life question, whatever is on your heart. All you need to do is provide the phone call, and it's cold outside, so you got nothing else to do. 210-340-9585 is our main number. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send them that way. And remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, got nothing else to talk about on a Tuesday, so let's get right to some questions. Uh, here is a question from Jonathan from our email inbox. Pastor on Chuck Smith. Uh, for those of you who don't know Chuck Smith, Chuck Smith is the founding pastor of Calvary Chapel. Um, he is um, most well-known, of course, for uh, being the pastor of the Jesus Movement days back in the late 60s and early 70s. And Calvary Chapel grew from a church of about 25 people to now there's 1,500 or so of us uh, throughout the world. And, uh, and he was the founding pastor. So here's the question. Chuck Smith believes in the gap theory or gap creationism in which there was an original creation, earth, angels, and Satan, and then the fall of Satan, chaos, then recreation in a six-day period. I always learned that God created the earth, the heavens, angels, and everything in it in six literal days without any gaps or periods of eras. What are your thoughts? What are your beliefs? Can you please make sense of it? Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'll do my best. Let me rightly and fairly represent Pastor Chuck. Uh, Pastor Chuck has gone back and forth on the gap theory. The gap theory is simply that there was a gap between verses 1 and 2 in Genesis. Um, um, became is their key word. Um, the, the earth became uh, void. And um, Chuck was, was uh, one who just really wrestled with this issue. Um, uh, he has told me personally, obviously Chuck is in heaven now and he knows exactly what's right, but he's told me personally um, that there were times when he was convinced it was right, depending on who he's talking to, and other times when he was convinced that, that uh, creation was a literal six-day uh, proposition. And, and as he was in his last years, uh, Jonathan, I believe that Chuck had kind of settled on the fact that that uh, creation was a literal six-day event. Um, so um, he just waffled back and forth. Now, um, obviously, the gap theory, for those who believe in it, I think it makes no sense at all, but for those who believe in it, it's certainly not an essential of our historic Christian faith. 
Um, but I believe it's simple. I believe that the Holy Spirit goes out of his way in Genesis to make sure that we understand it is a literal six-day creation, 24-hour-a-day, six-day creation. Um, the, the, the Hebrew word used for day is is never used in any way other than describe a literal 24-hour-a-day night and then the following morning, the day, uh, is, is how it's created. Um, and and I, I just think you've got to jump through hoops to believe in a gap theory. Uh, the reason that's attractive to people, Jonathan, is that um, we we people want to explain the, the 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 current prevailing science that suggests that the Earth or the universe is millions or even billions of years old, and so they think in that gap it could be any period of time, and that's why things appear. Uh, the way they are, but I, I think that's absolutely unnecessary. Now, one other thing you said here that's um, interesting to me. You said, I always learned that God created the earth, the heavens, the angels, and everything in it in six little days. Um, the, the, the six days of creation uh, don't necessarily have to include the creation of angels and, and later demons, fallen angels, um, uh, at all. Um, so, so we don't know when that happened uh, specifically, um, but um, you know we're we're just not given that. So, uh, I believe you want to know my thoughts. Uh, I believe that um, when Jesus said, "Let there be light," and there was, that's when creation happened. Six literal days, uh, and everything was done and completely um, as it's described in the scriptures. So. I personally think that's pretty important. It's verses uh, 1 and 2 in Genesis chapter 1. And I believe uh, that it's um, the Holy Spirit actually goes out of his way to make sure we understand it is a literal creation. Here's a question from Robert, also from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, I heard you say on Sunday that most, if not all of you are saved. I was taken back because growing up in the church, I would always hear that 50 to 90% of the people who come on a regular basis on Sundays are not saved. Some notable names. Billy Graham says that 85% of people in Sunday service are not saved. W.A. Criswell says that 75% of the people in Sunday service aren't saved. A.W. Tozer, uh, who is a giant, by the way, says that 90% of the people in Sunday service are not saved. Names like Rod Bell, Bob Jones, George Truett, R.G. Lee say that 50% of the people in Sunday service are not saved. Do you think that by saying that it has everyone believing that they are saved and do not need to repent of their sins? Or do you think these people I named are too far off in their assessments of unsaved people? By the way, you did a great message on Sunday. I will be listening more. Robert, this is one of the problems with um, um, online services. Um, If you were a regular attender to our church, um, you would have heard me say dozens of times over the years that that I believe personally that half of the people sitting in church um, every Sunday, regular attendees, are not saved. Now, the reason I would say that um, um, I believe you know most of the people are saved, or I, and I'm just saying when I'm giving an invitation, uh, especially in in, in I, I think you heard me on third service this this past Sunday. Um, uh, I'm simply giving them the opportunity to question their salvation. That's all I want the Holy Spirit to check their heart. So I, I don't think that any more people at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio are saved than in any other church. Um, but, you know, we're just guessing. And, you know, we want to believe the best. It's also true that I know a lot of the people personally, most of the people personally. And um, I want them... Um, I just want them to examine their heart. Um, I have no problem telling people they need to repent of their save, or they need to repent of their sins and get saved. Um, so um, I, I just think this is a, a pointless um, argument. It's it's um, God knows those who are His; He won't be mocked. And I'm going to leave that work to the Holy Spirit. And I promise you, Robert, I'm not giving anybody. Uh, false assurances of their salvation. I'm about as direct as you can possibly be. Uh, one of the things that we have to remember, uh, people like Billy Graham, um, 
they want people to answer invitations. He's an evangelist. And, uh, and, and he's out there scattering seed. You know, Jesus told the parable of the sower. And if you use that as a, as a model, and I think a lot of these guys do, um, three quarters of the, the soil that the seed falls on is unproductive, unfruitful. And um, I think a lot of people will take that and say, well, you know, only 25% of the people who are in church are really saved. That's not me to question their salvation. I'm simply there to present the facts and give them the opportunity to come to know Jesus. And I have no issues at all with every invitation that I give, Robert. Um, I have no problem at all telling people that they must repent of their sins, have faith in Jesus Christ, and then come to a saving faith, being born again um, in Christ. So very, very important. Robert, I hope you keep listening. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585. Let's go to our phones. We've got James on line one. James from Belmont. Thanks for calling. You're on the air. Oh, <clears throat> thanks, Pastor Ron. Um, you know, the disadvantage of sitting here and listening to you, of course, is that my mind wanders. And part of that's my old age. And part of it's just <laughs> that, you know, all my relatives come from Arkansas and English is the second language for me as it is anyway. <laughs> um, as far as the gap goes, I did buy a shirt. Um, um, and um, let's see, that was my gap joke. Oh, and, uh, you know, the, the funny thing about Christianity is is that um, uh, I, I think for me was that I have to get past that thought of Christianity just being uh, episodic or that there was a point in time, boom, and um, – uh, you know, and uh, and I believed, and and that was all that was required of me. And and I tell you what, getting into Paul's letters uh, just really opened my eyes, and I, and I'm just so appreciative of that man. I guess I'll have to hug his neck one day whenever I see him. <laughs> hey, um, we'll so, get to so James. Like, <laughs> so I have like two questions. One's real short, and then the other one's a little bit longer. So if you don't mind, let me ask you the short one first. Okay. Um, Acts two. 23. Um, by the way, um, uh, thanks for the book. Uh, Acts 2.23, uh, th- this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of the wicked man, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Uh, but God raised him up from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, blah, blah. So my question is, uh, it seems to be a matter of which book you you pick up but uh i've seen where it says in verse 23 when it talks about this man was handed and it's jesus of course but this man was handed over to you the the people of israel by god's deliberate plan um some put of his own uh of his own counsel or his own will Mm -hmm. and uh, I think uh, that's also can be found like sometimes in Ephesians one eleven, and I find it interesting. And one of the reasons why it would even matter to me at all is it just seems to, if it is um, a good interpretation, saying of his own counsel, God's own counsel. To me, uh, it was one of those things in the Bible that points to where um, the Trinity, or God being more than one entity, that, you know, uh, and and then again, it it depends upon which translation, I guess, you look at, because I I have an NIV in front of me, it's it's not the 84 that I've got now, but um, it's it's, uh, one of the ones that came after. But um, as far as that verse goes, do you know which would be a better translation, saying by God's deliberate plan or by his own counsel? Well, I, I, I think his own counsel is better. I actually like the 84 NIV the best, which is God's set purpose. Because when you say by God's deliberate will, um, you know, people ascribe in, in their interpretation of that, James, they ascribe causation to that. And, of course, God didn't cause Jesus being handed over. He knew he would be. We also know that Jesus asked for another way out, and God the Father said, no, there isn't another way out. 
but um, um, this verse is deliberate in connecting God's purpose or God's will with his foreknowledge. And that's consistent with what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, uh, what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that God's foreknowledge, he, he didn't cause that. He knew it was going to happen, and Jesus was set. Isaiah chapter 50 says, said that, that Jesus set his face as flint to go to Jerusalem knowing that he would be humiliated there, knowing that he would be put to death. So that was God's purpose, God's will, um, God's deliberate will, but but it wasn't causative. Um, God simply telling the future in advance based on what he knows about the future. What I love about this, and I just taught this passage two weeks ago, what I love about this passage is that Peter is preaching to these men who've watched these signs and wonders now with the, the, the mighty rushing wind, the cloven tongues of fire, and the, and, the, and the gift of tongues that was poured out. And basically he says, you killed God and now you need to repent. And of course we know that 3,000 men, not counting their wives and children, uh, repented on that day and the church was born. So uh, this is simply a verse, verse 23. Uh, Jesus was handed over. God knew it was going to happen. That was God's will because that was the only way to redeem mankind. And, um, um, and, and they were participants uh, with the help of wicked men, Romans. Um, and you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now you're guilty. And uh, now repentance is required. And that's what happened. What's your other question, James? Um, well, uh, you know, since everybody decided to call yesterday, I figured I better call early. Um, so, other one still in Acts. Um, you know, uh, in Matthew, oh goodness, um, uh, Jesus oftentimes uh, is talking about um, bringing the good news, uh, the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom is at hand. Um, uh, I, I can uh, remember whenever uh, Jesus was uh, in the verses where he was asking who do people say that I am and mm -hmm. and then when it came to Peter he said you know you're the messiah you're the son of the living god and and Jesus said well that wasn't of your own knowledge but that was given to you from above or and then um I um Beth and and Myrtle or something cuz those names are so similar sounding but um Martha uh, was with Jesus, and uh, Martha said, yeah, I know that my brother will be resurrected in the end time, and Jesus is lying the way, the truth, and the life. And then Martha says um, that I know that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, that was all part and parcel with the message um, that I read during those three years, was that the kingdom is coming, and that Jesus is the Messiah who would lead them into the kingdom. Well, um, of course, um, he was crucified. And then when it comes to Acts, um, Peter is telling everybody that Jesus uh, is the Messiah. You, you did crucify him. He is resurrected, and the kingdom is coming. So it was still continuing with that message of the kingdom coming, Jesus the Messiah. So whenever Peter in Acts 2 is talking to his federal, federal fellow Israelites, um, uh, and he tells them to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus the Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you know, whenever we claim what our gospel is through Paul, how this matures in Christianity, that, um, that Christ died uh, and rose again after three days, was seen by many, but died for our sins. Is this the same thing when he says, in the name of Jesus Christ or Jesus the Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Is, is this still where Peter is saying Christ is the Messiah. Yes, you killed him. Yes, he rose from the dead. But Christ is the Messiah. Believe, be baptized, receive um, uh, the gift of the Spirit, uh, ask for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, 
that the kingdom essentially is at hand. We're looking for the kingdom to come, and this is the Messiah. Was that what Peter was asking um, his uh, uh, fellow Israelites to believe? Yeah, sort of. Let, let me uh, two two things. One, uh, I, this important correction. It's the only reason I'm correcting you, James. When when Martha said to Jesus, "I know you are the the," uh, I know he will live in the resurrection. Jesus said, "I am the resurrection. I am the life," and and that's really important. Uh, an important distinction. What Peter was doing, James, uh, was announcing that the kingdom had arrived. And Paul, of course, is going to continue that message. So it's not the kingdom is at hand. What he's saying is with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the kingdom has arrived. They're, they're not speaking about future any longer, and that's why it requires an immediate response. You know, Jesus talked about believing in him. Jesus talked about uh, about being the only way to the Father in heaven, all that stuff. But but noticeably absent, Jesus, when he had crowds around, he didn't ask, he didn't give invitations like Peter is giving. Um, the, Peter and, and his disciples are announcing that the kingdom has come and here's the way to the kingdom. And when he said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, repent and be baptized, that's the remedy for all of the sins. Um, um, repent, we have to remember the Jewishness of this message. Jews understood baptism. John's baptism was a baptism of preparation. John the Baptist said, the kingdom is near, or the kingdom is coming, the kingdom is at hand. Jesus continued that uh, in speaking about the kingdom of God. But what Peter is doing is declaring that that kingdom has arrived, and you better make a choice now. And the Jews that heard that understood it. He was not saying, and I don't think this is part of your question, James, but he was not saying that you have to be baptized. Um, for a Jew, baptism of repentance was sort of the, the preparation, and it would be a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Peter was asking. Um, and Peter says uh, people that believe will be saved, but people who do not believe won't be saved. He doesn't say people who are not baptized won't be saved. So it's very important because there's a lot of people who take that passage of Scripture and destroy it, making baptism a requirement for salvation. Again, James, I'm sure that's not where you're going with it. But Peter's message in Paul's is going to be exactly the same. Paul will say, but now God requires men everywhere to repent. And so there has to be an action that demonstrates that you believe. It's not enough to say, well, I believe Simon the sorcerer. We had a question the other day about him. He believed that what he saw was real, but there was no action. He didn't repent. It wasn't a, a, a spiritual transaction where he received Jesus into his heart. So what Paul is saying in, in his ministry, what Peter is saying in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 is, or Acts chapter 3 rather, is repent. That's the proof that Jesus, that you really do believe. Thank you, James. Great questions. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to Ruben on line two from, oh, Ruben's hung up. Ruben, we'll be back on the other side of the break if you want to call back. Okay, we're inside three minutes now, so let me get to a question. Here's a question from Kevin. He says, I feel like I have a lot to contribute to other Christians, but they often won't take my advice. What am I doing wrong? Kevin, here's a good rule of life for you. Um, don't give advice unless you're asked. It's as simple. Um, anybody who feels like they have advice to contribute to others and they're not sharing the word of God, uh, maybe, Kevin, you're just thinking a little too highly of yourself. And, uh, you know, Jesus told us before we go speck hunting in somebody else's eye, we got to get the logs out of our own eye. And I'm, I'm always a little cautious, Kevin, with people that say, well, well, I have a lot of good advice or I have a lot to contribute to other Christians. Uh, and, and a lot of times other Christians are looking at your life and they're saying, well, who would want advice from him? So be very slow to give advice. Get in the word. Um, make sure your own house is in or examine your, your hearts daily, Paul says, to see whether or not you're in the faith. And then what will happen, Kevin, when you're following Jesus with all of your heart, when you've got all of the things in your life that are going um, according to God's will, then you just follow Jesus. He'll bring other people around you. I promise you that. 
Um, I have people listen to me all the time, radio shows, the messages that we do during the week. Uh, I don't have to go to anybody. I was able to talk about this this past Sunday. Um, I, I love sharing and I love talking to people one-on-one and being out just in public places. But, you know, when you're following Jesus and, and you're, you're walking in the middle of his will, uh, people will come to you. So don't feel like you have a lot to contribute to other Christians. Just worry about your own walk and God will open those doors for you to talk with other people. Too often we think that people should listen to us or we've got a better idea. And often, Kevin, and I don't know you, so please don't take this personal, but 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 often that seems just a little bit prideful. You know, I have people that come up to me and say, well, I have the gift of discernment. And I say, well, explain that. What does it mean? And I say, well, God tells me stuff about people. And Kevin, instantly I know that they don't. that's not a gift from God because God's talking to them about them not about other people. So I hope that makes sense. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the show we've got 30 minutes for you to call and ask some great questions 340-9585 here's a question sent in to us by troy he says does god speak to us through coincidence or other people saying things to us. Um, sometimes, you know, uh, it, it's hard to be definitive, um, Troy. I, I'm not a I'm not a coincidence believer at all. Um, I think sometimes if we're looking for signs or if we're looking for confirmations or if we're looking for a coincidence, you know, I, I ask God to close this door, open this door, and this door open. So I'm sure that's God. Um, those kind of things are, are very, very unreliable. Um, but there are times when God will speak to you through other people. Um, gifts of the Spirit, gifts of, of knowledge and, and, and a word of knowledge or word of wisdom. Um, um, I've had people say things to me before. Um, God's tried to use other people to warn me about difficult circumstances. And uh, there have been times when I recognized it was from the Lord and times when I didn't but later wished that I had. So, yeah, other people can say things to us. But I want you to think about one thing here. When God uses somebody else to speak to you, um, th- there's only only two possible circumstances that that would happen. The first is they'll come to you and they'll give you something. It's edifying usually to be the word of God. God put a verse on, on my heart for you. Uh, it'll be edifying, encouraging. That's, that's what the, these gifts are all about. Um, the other exception, Troy, is in those times maybe God has been dealing with you about an issue and you're, you're ignoring him. Um, maybe you're not being obedient or you're dragging your feet and the Holy Spirit's been nudging you and you're still sort of resisting. Um, then it's, it's very possible that God will send somebody to you and, and give you just kind of a warning. And the way we know that's from God is because it will be consistent with what the Holy Spirit's been speaking to our heart. And then we should know um, for certain that uh, we, we need to act. We need to be obedient. No more uh, procrastinating, dragging our feet. Uh, no more giving way to fear or anxiety. But God's asking you to do this and you need to do it. And um, uh, God has actually used me a few times to talk to people like that. And as soon as I've said something to them, they kind of drop their head and say, how did you know God's been dealing with me on that issue? So, well, obviously I didn't know what God's dealing with you on, but this is God reaching out to you again. So whatever it is that you're not doing, this is when you need to get serious about doing it. But uh, other than that, it, it, you know, if somebody comes up and wants to tell you the future, um, well, God told me to tell you, you need to do this or you need to do that. When I was in Bible college, there was actually a guy 
who said um, that uh, to, to somebody in my dorm, I was a, a dorm resident supervisor, and um, um, said, God told me that you're supposed to give me your car so I can go start a car in whatever state it was, New Jersey, I think. And this kid came to me crying. I want to be obedient to God, but God said to give him my car, and I don't know if I can do that. It's my parents' car. And, and I, I basically told him, don't listen to him. We went and rebuked, corrected the other guy. Um, so, so just be careful. If God really wants to speak to you, he's got your attention. Um, if somebody says something, you've been dragging your feet, then the Spirit of God will convict you. So I hope that makes sense. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Joseph. He says, uh, if I forget to say amen at the end of my prayers, will God still hear me? Um, yeah, Joseph, you know, God's not into formulas. Amen simply means so be it. Um, it's, it's, it's just the way we close our prayers, but it's certainly not a requirement of your prayers answer. Remember, I say all the time here, Joseph, that, that, um, praying is just talking to God. And so you don't talking to somebody, a friend, you don't say amen all the time. Um, and, and you don't need to say it with Jesus either. It's just sort of a way to indicate I'm done with my prayer. Uh, usually we're to say amen to other people's prayers, um, um, but but it, it's not a formula that you have to say amen at the end of your prayers. Uh, God will hear your prayers. You want to pray in the will of God. You want to pray for the glory of God, and those are two really important things. Nevertheless, thy will, not my will, be done. And Lord, may all of this that I'm asking bring you glory. If it doesn't, then I don't want it. Um, so, amen is not required for God to hear your prayers. Here is a question from Vince. What is the best way to hear from God in the Bible regarding things we're going through at the moment? You know, Vince, I, I you know, the Bible, is, it says of itself, it's living and active. Uh, that means it meets you where you are. So, I don't think if you're going through something uh, at the moment, I don't think you have to look up um, um, subject in the Bible about that particular thing. Um, you know, if you're going through a trial, there's a lot about trials. Um, but but I think I think the living, active Word of God will speak to you where you are. So I would read systematically. Um, I'm not one of those guys who just will get up in the morning and say, you know, today I think I'm going to read in the book of Acts or I'm going to read in Galatians. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've always got personal reading going on, and I want to read systematically through it. And because his word is living and active, God can speak to us from any place in that word at any time and make it very uh, practically um, um, valuable for the, for the very thing that you're going through uh, at the time. So uh, I just think you open your Bible and you read. And God's going to speak to your heart. Uh, it's that simple. Uh, he will affirm, confirm, or redirect you in his word. And uh, most of the time, you know, uh, some super spiritual types will say things like, well, so what did God say today in your reading? And, and most of the time the answer is just stay the course. Just, just follow Jesus. Just You're doing fine. Stay the course. But if you're going through something, then... By all means, he's going to speak to you through his word because that is the the normal way, uh, overwhelmingly the normal way that God speak to us, speaks to us um, regarding the way we're living, the things that we're going through. So, Vince, I hope that helps. Just read. Read and wait for the Lord. You know, I don't mean to sound weird here or make, make this sound super spiritual, but but at least in my experience, Vince, when... Um, I'm reading, um, and, and God is about to tell me something. Now, I know the Bible well enough to know what's coming in, you know, as I'm reading ahead. But, but it's, it's almost like there's this experience that I have where um, God will let me know to be alert, um, use my ears to hear, and, and, and prepare my heart because God's going to speak to my heart. And then when I'll get to that verse or those verses, 
uh, I'll just know that it's God speaking to my heart about that. So thank you, Vince. I appreciate that very, very much. Here's a question from Sheila. Uh, she says, a friend of mine is deeply into the prosperity gospel. How can I convince them it's not true? And why do they fall for it? She says Jesus was rich. Um, Sheila, the reason they fall for it is because they want to. Uh, this is uh, the prosperity gospel is um, the epitome of carnality, flesh, flesh, flesh. Um, it, it's it's gratifying the flesh. It's wanting immediate solutions. Uh, it, it's wanting life uh, of of ease and comfort and luxury. Um, and and you can't read the Bible and get any of that from the Bible. Um, so what you do is you tell your friend that that she is into heresy. That is, this is not a Christian message. Um, and then when people say dumb things like Jesus was rich, then just tell them, why don't you actually try reading the Bible instead of listening to some of these prosperity guys tell you what it says? How about you just read it and make your own conclusion? And then, Sheila, the, 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 the frustration that you're, you're experiencing is, you said, how can I convince them it's not true? You cannot. All they've got to do is be willing to open their heart and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the only one who can do that. So keep in mind, they fall for it because they want to. And sadly, tragically, there are so many churches that have these people on the end of a string like a yo-yo, up and down and up and down and up and down. And they've got these people. That's why the, 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 the uh, audience turns over so much in these churches because people get weary of unmet expectations. False hope is worse than no hope at all. And no hope is really bad. But false hope is even worse. And um, so they'll, they'll intentionally misread the Bible with this idea that God wants me to be rich, God wants me to be healthy, and all of those things. So um, the prosperity, the health, wealth gospel uh, is false. Pray for your friend. Tell her it's not true. And, uh, and just pray for her because only the Holy Spirit can open her eyes. You know, Sheila, and this is for everybody else in the audience, there are times when the Lord will speak to my heart uh, about healing. Um, yeah, he'll, he'll uh, consistent with the message that I'm giving or the passage of Scripture I am, I'm in. Uh, he will say things like, um, um, there are people here I want to heal tonight. Now, not everybody gets healed for sure, and we make sure everybody understands that. Uh, but, but you know, this idea that God wants us all to be rich or he wants us all to be healthy is is blasphemy, really. And we need to, to watch the, uh, this past Sunday. Uh, I knew for several days prior to the message that God wanted to do something physically with some people. Um, we're in the passage of Scripture in Acts at the, the Gate Beautiful where the beggar um, was confronted by Peter. Look at us, he said, and... Um, silver, gold, have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And immediately his ankles and his feet got strong. And um, I just knew that God wanted me to do something different. Our invitation this week was different than I've ever done it before, uh, on a Sunday anyway. And um, there were people that God wanted to heal. And he did. There were there were some people um, who were healed um, and and you know, I know people are skeptical of that, but, um, you know, we watched a miracle happen and, and, and we got a lot of feedback about other people that have been healed and God spoke to them about misdirection and things like that. So, so um, you know, we believe in all that stuff, but um, those kind of miracles and God wanting to be rich is, is just not the gospel at all. It's a false gospel and God hates it. Pray for your friend, Sheila. Thank you for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Patrick. Is someone who professes to be a Christian in sin because they believe in evolution? Uh, I don't think it's sin. It's it's unbelief, and unbelief can be sin. Um but, but I think, Patrick, you know, especially new believers, 
um, evolution has been crammed down our throats. So I think what we have to do is learn about God, get in his word, and then the living active word of God will 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 change our minds and our hearts about these things. But uh, it's a very general question, is believing in evolution a sin? Um, uh, I think we can leave the Holy Spirit um, or leave the people to the Holy Spirit. He's the one who will change their mind and their heart in the direction. I, I want to say very clearly that a belief in evolution is contradictory. It is contrary to what the Bible teaches. In the beginning, God, the first four words of our Bible, that's what we have to believe. Literally, before there was a beginning, God, uh, John chapter 1 begins by saying, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was was with God, and the Word, or the word was God, and the Word was with God. And then in, in the 14th verse, uh, and, and the Word... Um, tabernacle literally among us uh, and we're told that there that everything that was made he made um, you know Patrick evolution is is um, evil it's cruel um, but you got to give people a little bit of time to throw away that which has been packed into their brain uh, so that they can learn who Jesus is and, and, and we can trust that the Holy Spirit is going to take them so I don't think they're sin, but you can tell him if you care about this person, then what you want to do is you want to tell him or her that that's simply impossible. Uh, Jesus said Adam and Eve were the very first two humans on the face of the earth. And uh, he said everything was very good when he made them. Is it even possible that they could have been knuckle-dragging Neanderthals? The answer is no. And, and so challenge them to dig in and find out. And and that's one of the most loving things we can do. Don't do it arrogantly, but it's one of the most loving things we can do because the one thing that every believer needs to do is to find that, that level of confidence that the Bible literally is the Word of God. It literally is. And then what they can do is um, start checking it out on themselves. And at some point, you've got to make a decision. Do I believe what uh, masquerades as science when their motive is finding a, an explanation for everything that is that doesn't involve God. That's how they come up with a Big Bang Theory. That's how they come up with evolution. Um, um, you know, motive is everything. If their motive is to prove there's not a God, then they're going to ignore the evidence right before their very eyes. And they come up with all kinds of things. Good question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question anonymously from Tulsa. Uh, how can we live fully for Christ when we can't hear his voice? Uh, anonymous from Tulsa, you can hear his voice, not audibly, but you can hear his voice in the word. I mean, that's the, the, the as I said a minute ago, overwhelming uh, means through which God speaks to us. Uh, all of the questions that, that you need answers to, the answers are in his word. And so you've really got to dig in. And then you ask, how can you live fully? Uh, it's simple, by faith. We live by faith. We trust that what God says is there. And he's going to, I mean, the answer to every question, either very specifically or in principle, the answer to every question that you're ever going to ask is, is found in the Word. So study His Word. I know people that want to, want to hear God speak to them um, or they want to see some sort of a miracle so they'll believe. And God says, hey, how about, how about you believe? I'll show you I'm real, but believe first. And I think too many of us want to turn that around and say, no, you show me, then I'll believe. It just doesn't work that way. We're saved by grace through faith. Our faith is not based on a feeling. It's not based on I hope or I wish. Faith is based on overwhelming evidence. And the only way you can live fully for the Lord is to trust him. Imagine the man or the woman uh, anonymous who says that I'm I'm I love Jesus I serve Jesus but won't trust Him. You know it's always interesting to me that we trust God for our eternal soul, but we won't trust Him for Tuesday. And a lot of times we we live fully for the Lord um, in the absence of miracles or in the absence of hearing His voice audibly. Um, what do you say to Thomas? Thomas, you see and have believed, but blessed are those 
who believe and have not seen. And let's just trust. You know, I think often when we um, are slow to do what God wants us to do, or when we're asking for um, confirmation all the time, or, well, uh, Gideon threw out a fleece, so I'm going to throw out these fleeces. Um, I, I think God is, I think his heart gets broken. and they, 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 they don't trust me, he'll say. They don't trust me. What more do I have to do so that they will trust me? And Anonymous, probably in your case, it's just a matter of you got to really get to know him. You've got to learn that he's trustworthy, and the way you do that is to trust him. Whatever he's asking you today, be obedient, and your faith will grow. And if you get into a relationship with him where you're depending on him to direct your steps over a period of a few years, uh, God's going to show himself so faithful, so powerful, and so strong that it's just not going to be make any sense at all not to be obedient. So we live fully by faith. We get into the Word. We, he gives us directions, what we can do to draw us closer to Him, what we shouldn't do because it gets in the way of being close to Him. And you'll hear His voice, I promise you, not audibly, but you'll hear His voice. Thank you from Tulsa. Here is Tuck. When people say God told them to do something, does it mean they actually heard his voice? Well, I didn't catch the closeness of those two questions. No, I think this is just the way we in human language say that God told me to do this or God told me to do that. Uh, Tuck, when, when Paul and I were coming to San Antonio, um, it all started. I was out on a mountain in Bible college just walking with the Lord. Uh, I, I, I felt like he really wanted to speak to my heart. I, you got to get away and give him the opportunity to do that. And he told me on that day, it was so profound, I, the, the date I wrote it in my Bible, March 4th, 1994, God told me to begin praying for the people of San Antonio, Texas. Now, I didn't hear that in an audible voice. Uh, but but he, he spoke to my heart so profoundly that I knew it was for him. I, I knew that um, he was answering a prayer. He was giving me direction. Um, and and I, I don't, you know, you don't know how to communicate that to somebody. When somebody says, well, why did you come to San Antonio? My answer is, well, <clears throat> I'm here because God said to come. And and I don't mean by that that God spoke in an audible voice. It just means that, that when I was with him or I was in his word, God made his will for that particular thing very, very clear to my heart. So those are very important things, but... but um, um, you're not going to hear his voice audibly. But there are times, Tuck, when he will speak so clearly, so profoundly to your heart that it will be as though God spoke audibly. I know it's not, but that's how convinced. When he called me to be a pastor, I was only six months old in the Lord. I knew it. I absolutely knew that, that I was going to be a pastor in spite of people saying that's crazy, that's impossible. But I knew it. Um, as I said earlier, coming here to San Antonio, uh, I knew to, to when we started a free school, uh, I knew that's what God told me to do. And sometimes it's hard to convince other people, but, but nonetheless, when you know what God's told you to do, you're the one accountable to do it. Okay, we are getting short on time. This is a question from Anna or Anna, depending on her background. She says, I backslid for several years. Do I have to get saved again? Um, no, and if you were saved, you don't have to get saved again. But having backslid for several years, uh, I think a, a recommitment or a rededication of your life to the Lord uh, is appropriate. I think doing so publicly is is appropriate. Um, but but no, you don't have to get saved again. You know, one of the things I love about the Lord is that that He takes our professions of faith seriously. And even though we um, might stray, we break our promise to the Lord. Uh, he's faithful even when we're faithless. And I know a lot of people who are real believers who drifted away from the Lord in some cases so long, um, Anna, that, that um, it, it appeared to others of us like, well, that person's gone. 
Maybe they weren't really saved at all. But then they come running back. When things get hard, they come running back. And that's exactly what's happened to you. So no, you don't have to get saved again. What you do is you say, Lord, I'm so sorry that I ever drifted from you. I'm sorry for the things that I did, for the things that I said. I'm sorry for ignoring you. Thank you, God, for forgiving me. And now, Lord, use me, take me. I surrender it all. Paul says we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. So here's the thing, and I don't mean this in a works context, but uh, I would be so upset at the years that I wasted on her that my response would be, Lord, I don't want to waste one more minute and one more day. And uh, this is a refrain my church hears from me all the time, Anna. Um, get up in the morning and say, okay, Lord, what about me and what about today? Every single day. Okay, we're inside one minute. I got one quick question I can do. Rich says, did the disciples get saved before or after Pentecost? They were saved before. They were followers of Jesus. They believed in him. Uh, what happened at Pentecost was they were empowered. It's like buying a new car. You've got the car. you got everything you need to run the car, but you need gas. Or you need now an electrical jar. Um, well, that's what happened when the Holy Spirit made his entrance on the day of Pentecost. But remember, Jesus earlier, post-resurrection, breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit of God. And that was the seal of their salvation. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. Thanks for the phone calls. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Morning.